Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today's the 18th of June, 2020. This is approximately the 50th episode of The Climate Buddha. There has been quite a long time since I've produced an episode and published it. I've actually done a couple of them, but didn't like the episode and delayed the actual publishing. And I've arrived at this moment to talk to you now. What's notable in this particular moment is that I have so little to discuss in direct research except the idea that we have a number of people who are discussing what's known as the baked-in temperature increase problem. There are many ways to describe the baked-in temperature increase problem to the uh, public, but there are delays in pollution. If you put a certain pollution in the atmosphere, it takes time for that pollution to fully release its effects, sometimes decades. So we have these delays that are built in based on the amount of pollution that's in the atmosphere and how the the amount of pollution in the atmosphere the year before that and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. So what we have is a maturation of pollution that occurred 20 years ago in, in some cases. And we actually have a maturation of pollution that probably took place five years ago, without a doubt. And these are happening now. And if we stopped all creation of all pollution right now, just stopped it all, then all of these baked in uh, systems, the amount that's already in the atmosphere and the effects of those, of those pollutions we're already baked in. We're baked in for temperature increases that are that are not. Uh, no human has survived for long in this. You know, Abu Dhabi and uh, the, the the great accomplishments of human science is air conditioning and the ability to build a building in the middle of the desert and have everybody thrive. You know, th- this is a function of a tremendously interdependent and interconnected supply chain system feeding these islands of, 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 of incredible uh, carbon intensive need energy consuming machines. Uh, this is scaling up the entire planet to uh, Abu Dhabi level of you know, sophisticated high-rise air-conditioned housing for 8 billion people because that's how hot it's going to be. You just you got to think that, you know, the deep, dark desert of our Middle Eastern countries and the entire lifestyles of what that had been before the existence of air conditioning and what it is now, and people can't live there. You can't take a bunch of suburbanites who are living in Dubai and you can't just say go survive in the desert they'll all die they'll die 
quickly. So the effects of, of, of this baked-in climate change is, is the reality that the weather's just going to get hot and uncomfortable for people who already are hot and uncomfortable. And it, it's going to get it's going to get very close to uh, conditions that the body can't dissipate heat quick enough. My experience in my own personal life has been with outdoor athletics and being injured from heat. I had my first heat injury playing tennis probably 30 years ago, but I had severe heat injury uh, caddying uh, for a tournament that I was thought I could handle it. All I can say is I misjudged and at the end of nine holes I was I was done and I injured myself from that and it interfered with my ability to be out in the heat for over a year. Uh, it, it was a form of brain damage and so I know what a heat injury is so I'm very acutely aware of, of the different temperatures outside. So if I say to you that the climate's going to change and it's going to get hotter wherever you're at probably that, that temperature increase is just going to be something along the hotter, drier, more hotter, more drier uh, level, more desert-like, wherever you are. Um, that continuum, because of the incredibly difficult to predict jet stream and strange weather behaviors and all that stuff, you don't know exactly what the microwave is going to be in various locations, but overall, the trend is going to be hotter, warmer, drier. And this is baked in. It's unfortunately baked in. So, the climate Buddha and a forward-thinking research scientist who's just published his second paper recently on abrupt climate, ir abrupt irreversible climate change. But Guy McPherson discussed, and I discussed, the, 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 this type of talk. So you've been listening to me for about six minutes, and what I've basically outlined is a, is a baked-in increase in temperature that's going to get to the point where people are simply not going to be able to live because they can't go outside. Not to mention what would happen before that when the plants can't live and growing things will become increasingly more technologically sophisticated and as necessary. Uh, it will become more technologically sophisticated as needed to grow because the environment will become less and less um, conducive to this growth. You see, this, this is, this is the, the difference between suburbia and, and our, our deep you know, urban, uh, uh, suburban universe versus, versus our agrarian brethren. It's just a huge gap. We take such an advantage of, of society's interconnected wonders that allow us to, allows us to have local grocery stores and local malls. And these, these we are so devoid of a relationship to the environment. The air conditioning illusion of environment, getting in and out of your car in Florida is, is, is its own little adventure. But this is just such a such a uh, privileged, privileged, you know, a whining 
of the changes that may be taking place as the consequences of this baked in uh, temperature increases continue to mount. I've stood clearly on the solutions to this problem through the six universal alignments. Everything must stop was the idea that we are now experiencing through the virus is that people looked around and they asked themselves what what is going on and because of the incredible amount of uh, information that's available there's a segment of the population that's come to the conclusion that we're all in a situation where we're we have a limited amount of time while civilization will hold together well enough to feed us all. So Guy McPherson and I were discussing years ago what this was. What, what would you call a situation where we knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that in some time in the, in the near future the planet would not be habitable for vast swaths of the population. We, we looked at each other and it was the idea that in the very near term humanity could become extinct. near-term human extinction. The idea that NTHE, the idea that we were talking about the very distinct possibility of circumstances getting such that vast swaths of the population of Earth would be reduced down to levels that would make the last remaining bits more academic than reality. So the, the entire process of trying to understand abrupt irreversible climate change leads one on this unfortunate but wonderfully rewarding journey of accepting the fact that our time, our, not just you, in me, but our time on this precious earth is limited. And it's, it's far more limited than any of the other. Uh, it's just far more limited than anything that you've ever tried to understand. This causes a maturation of, of your mind. Everybody tends to grow up and say, you know, this is it, isn't it? And so, like, what would the big boys do when they, when they put down their games? What would they do if, if com competition became enlightened? Competition is a mechanism to help achievement. But... Once it stops doing that and becomes a way to make money and a living and a place to wager gambling bets and 
So the thing is, is that at some point, the competition as a growth mechanism uh, s stops functioning in that, that, that level. But at no point in human species evolution was there any massive population reductions within the tribes themselves until we got to the agricultural generations. But I'm certainly not an anthropological uh, historic genius on this subject. But I do enjoy uh, referencing back um, tribal cultures to our own because I think we're so devoid of a relationship to the to the biosphere, living this urban suburban lifestyle. We're so devoid of understanding of it that my own misunderstandings of it and how I display my own ignorances are are just a manifestation of the cultural nature of of this of this paved life that so much of our generation has have let have lived and what it's cost for us to have this paved life on a global scale is a good question uh, and the answers are always bad uh, the answers always come up with like western civilization eats up tons of resources takes over tons of cultures does lots and lots of nasty dealings to maintain this hegemony and keeps just rolling on as long as you can keep doing what it's doing so I don't feel guilty about living the lifestyle that I've lived I knew not, nothing different I, I, I realize that I can make some micro choices each day that make me feel good but the truth of the matter is that this isn't a consumer problem. The, way, the, 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 the environment is not a consumer problem where you can shop at a different restaurant and save the world. Uh, Near-term human extinction and the realization that, that we're headed down a pathway very, very quickly depended upon a number of factors that uh, the climate Buddha has been watching closely. One of them is the sea ice extent in the Arctic. The other is methane releases. The other is worldwide temperature. The other is how much CO2. The other is the jet streams. The other is all sorts of geoengineering efforts. The other is war and peace. The other is indigenous rights. The other is the solutions to the climate crisis. So the solutions to the climate crisis, you've heard in 15 minutes that the climate Buddhist said that, boy, is it bad news. Jeez, is it bad news. And if you monitor all these various mechanisms and you follow them closely over a long enough period of time, you see, you see these mathematical results that are just terrifying. 
You see graphs drawn by people who do not have hidden agendas that are just drawing things that any six-year-old can see are heading us towards territory, territory that will be unlivable. That baked-in aspect of the future asks yourself, how much do you want to compete for the last two, six crumbs, little fi fine pieces of grain piled in some bag somewhere? How are we going to fight for that last piece of grain? What, what is that? Does that want to go out? Is that how you want to go out? How do you want to do it? I don't know. I don't want to do that. I don't want to see a bloodbath. Uh, those with the weapons and those without them. And I don't want to see a bloodbath of countries with the weapons and countries without them. I don't want to see the bloodbath as countries turn against their own people to protect the interests of the ruling class. I don't want to see any of that. We need to grow up. Competitive enlightenment means the game of golf is a metaphor. It's not life. There are many ways to approach sports. Not every one of them is as win-at-all-cost professional athletic ethos. This is destroying so much of human relations. As we see take-no-prisoners, war-like communication strategies being wielded against the American people. This information war is not about one person's usage of the internet naming culture. What we're talking about is, is, a, is a legitimate question of just what is going on with our mass media systems and who is pulling the strings. And why is it that there's such a gap between alternative media and mainstream media? Why is that? So we've got to grow up and stop competing with one another and figure out a way to cooperate successfully so that we can tackle the very difficult decisions in association with the difficulties of abrupt climate change. So everything's functioning pretty good right here where I am right now. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's pretty good. Everything's even post-COVID. Everyone's risking life and limb to be immediately out. But no doubt there'll be some form of consequence from the from this uh, exposure and uh, there'll be some sort of epidemiological story to be told from the mistakes that are being made during this little window. But at this point, everything's back to business as normal. As far as the climate where I'm at, it's, it's a little bit normal, I guess. I don't know the area where I'm currently at, but it's been livable. It's getting too hot uh, for me, uh, but aside from it getting too hot, everything's pretty hunky-dory. So that means that during this time, we have a functioning society, a functioning system, and we could all work together and use this window of abundance to set up what is most definitely going to be a more difficult future for all of us. So what do you think that would consist of? We, we could take every moment of good weather where it's not a climate apocalypse and, and prepare for, for, for when that will occur. What if we had that preparations in place for everyone, everywhere, on every continent, and every people? That, that preparation, that basic human preparation for the storm that is a coming, that we have your back, we're taking care of your needs, we're going to see to it that the that resources are distributed and that 
people are fed, and that people have water, and that people have shelter, and that people have an exchange. Systems so that they can get their needs met, no matter where they are. There are two things in the world, politically. One is capital, the other is people. An actual people-centric approach to the information coming from the climate change universe, from the real looking out the window realizations of climate change in your piece of the world, when all of that comes together, when we are in universal alignment, when that moment comes together, competition will no longer have any meaning. The only thing we need is some of the most amazing cooperation. A computer age internet level level of, of cooperation whereby everyone on the planet their needs are taken into account with everything from this day forward with the collective energy of all of us. If we move together collectively, working specifically for the benefit of others, by placing people first and using capital as the energy it was designed for, so we have collective energy of the entire planet working together through a distributed 100% policy based democratic system everybody gets to vote on policy no more hallowed howl, howls of wisdom and pomp and circumstance and hitting of gavels and discussing things in very forthright ways this failed this system failed. This is a system that was designed to fail. We just didn't know it. We need a system that works. And it's sitting right in front of you now. Simple modifications of a Facebook-like interface with a Wikipedia-like interface connected to university-based research. We could be scientifically, collectively, moved from point A to point B in the information stone age to what will be essentially a worldwide Jetsons-like utopia and a complete safety net for everybody where lives themselves are no longer in question and tied into a casino-like economic system with the haves and the have-nots because the basis of all of the economic system is the wages to all of humanity. Universally aligned wage is wages to all of humanity. Papua New Guinea gets a universally aligned wage. Everybody gets it.
there there is your economic system that in itself represents an entire economic system and everything is leveraged against that anything else is is its own game it's it's its own little competition but the primary function of capital is to support humans and this is how it will do it once everybody has their economic needs met then distribution of assets and resources then becomes far more doable and the ability to take care of sub-saharan african tribes is still a responsibility of all of humanity every single indigenous tribe is gold oh my god this idea this this idea that there's a disposable you know uh, tribe oh well it's just it takes trillions of years to evolve one of these things oh it's just incredible kind of disrespect that the world has for the majesty of the results of evolution you cannot look at some small tribe in the Amazon as something inter interfering with trees we need to be figuring out how to give them trees this is the most these are the greatest gifts that we have as modern humanity like our cat species and like our wolf species they're well they're there are bear species this is these are top love eagles there's just so much that we all recognize whales that we we seals and we recognize that these are a valuable species to us because because in the movie happy feet they danced for us but there's a huge amount of other things that deserve to live. And I'm telling you, the separation between urban-suburban and the natural world is at the core of the endless consumption without consequence. I was brought up in this system. I'm not guilty for taking advantage of it. But we've reached a point where whatever that is isn't working on a number of levels and I think on a spiritual level that on the deepest level of humans greatest great is the realization that we got to stop competing with other tribes and realize that every tribe is is gold it's the most important gold that we have every species that's alive is is gold it's platinum every single thing in the ocean that we can keep alive as long as we can keep alive it takes billions of years of evolution to create the speciesation the speciesation all of the different types of birds and insects and it takes billions of years to do that and we're snuffing it out in a very short period of time due to what humans have done humans have done this because there was nobody like me talking to you now 500 years ago and they and if 500 years ago if 2500 years ago if 2500 years ago i got to go back in a time machine and i formed a a religion called chuchi and i said this is what the message is 
that the only thing that matters with humanity is resource usage and allocation and that living sustainably is the most important part of humanity's gift to the universe and that my religion is about that if I did that 2500 years ago and that religion became the biggest religion in, in the world then that religion probably would already been snuffed out <laughs> by someone taking their stuff because unfortunately you know taking people's stuff is just going on you know they we're filling our jails with people who take people's stuff but oh theft oh the scavenger part we're not hunters and gatherers folks we're hunter gatherers scavengers this species of, of humanity has been a hunter gatherer uh, you know scavenger for a long time scavenger way before hunting so you know it's really difficult to steal you know carcasses from lions etc but I can imagine that proto-humans could do it and this is a you know so what you're talking about is you know theft being part of our evolutionary history just so we keep doing it. We respect people who steal things. We respect people who lie to us. We respect people who, who, who are violent and antisocial. All these different things are all part of our evolutionary past. That's one of the reasons why we can't rely upon you know people's perceptions of other people. But we can rely upon our in interpretation of scientific information. We can rely on that. If I told you there's an extensive research studies showing that a universal wage within the Canadian province basically caused every social ill in that province to go away. That this is, they buried it and made it difficult to find, but it does exist. So if we applied social wage systems to the American plight, we would fix everything, everywhere, all at once. There would be no need for mass incarcerations, this ginormous multi-billion dollar investment in monitoring everything that we do so someone doesn't light a joint. I think it's really important that we figure out what to do with that kind of power. So hashtag distribute power asks the question, should we be concentrating power of any type, in any way, ways that I haven't even thought of, that you haven't thought of, that could be invented tomorrow that concentrate power? Should that be happening? And if we had the ability to vote collectively towards our policy goals, we would have a mechanism at that point to collectively decide whether or not we really do need to do more research on the weaponization of viruses. If we said, you know, as a society, as a planet, we we're, we're just don't think we need to do any more research on weaponization of viruses. Just no more of it. Just everybody get together and say, we're just not going to do that. We're just gonna, not going to weaponize viruses. We're not going to weaponize spirochetes. We're not going to weaponize, you know, bacteria. We're not going to weaponize, you know, retroviruses. We're not going to weaponize micro mycoplasma. We're not going to weaponize uh, fungi. We're not going to weaponize. weaponize. Oh, I'm sorry that my list is might might have left out your favorite thing that we have weaponized. But let's just say that we stopped all that collectively, that we had a policy that no matter where it is happening, I don't care if it's in the middle of the Urals, they got to stop doing it. And everybody just agreed that that's just a good idea. That's how you work when you have a system that's reactive to the people's will. We don't have a system that reacts to the people's will. So the people's will is irrelevant. It's like a, it's like 
it's like a poll. They're, they're taking a poll every once in a while to see how the people really feel about something. What's the trend? This, this, this system has completely failed to meet the needs of this population. It's just too many people. The system might be have, have a certain economic cap where it works, works good enough, but we, we lost that cap long ago. So I think that once we get to the point of competitive enlightenment, I think the turning over the reins of operating the planet needs to happen voluntarily because a ruling class has got it locked down. They have their own private armies. They have just a ginormous amount of power and informational power as well, too. And so it's like it's practically impossible to do anything against them uh, without them knowing about it. And every once in a while, something happens. And they go, wow, we didn't know about that. Well, that was hard. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, they figured out, you know, how to do it now. It's just really, really difficult to, to use anything that looks like a normal democratic system that's been working or might have been working in the 60s, etc. All those systems have been have been deeply uh, compromised. Protestprotest.com is uh, one of my uh, projects uh, where I was pointing out that the best protest is to simply to protest the freedom to protest. And that we found that Occupy... Uh, it's, you have no freedom to protest. You're you're followed. You're you're monitored. You're investigated. You're just constantly harassed. So there's simply no way to. Uh, there's just no way to to use. It. So my system, based on competitive alignment, is when everyone reaches universal alignment, they look out the window and they go, "Oh, well, this is we're all going to die." So let's just turn this over to the people. This preserves capital. People are rich. People stay rich. The entire casino game that they've created can stay in its existing form. They can exchange, you know, Ferraris with one another using this this form. But uh, another parallel economic system there where everyone actually is, is gets fed in their housing and then, you know, their, their health care and all the things that people need to live is taken care of with this other pile of money. So I, I think probably a little bit of math on this thing needs to be done. But whatever that math is, someone smart enough to figure out how to turn that into an economic system. Everybody's wages stay about where they are. It's just a, a new parallel wage system. So that's that. There's the, the wage system is is designed so that people can get their needs met. Yeah, they can they can continue to make money in the casino capitalism system as much as they want, and use that money in any way they see fit. There's no major uh, restrictions unless, of course, all the people vote that we have capital controls on where capital goes and whether or not you can take all your money offshore and avoid paying taxes on it or whether or not you can, you know, do whatever you want with your international finance, which of course people know nothing about, I know nothing about, but it's going on at a level that most people just have no idea. So, you know, once your money gets freed up and it's in this huge international pile, then you're, what are you voting for? Who are you voting for? What are, what are, can you vote that out of power? This problem needs to be solved with a complete 100% uh, worldwide democracy. We're, we're in a policy-based democracy. We're no longer waiting for representation. And if there is representational issues, then they are voted on extensively by huge bases. This is statistical issues. Do you know study statistics? Do you know anything about statistics? So anyways, we have sample sizes of 100 people, and you go, that's enough. It's called the Senate. There's enough people. There's 100. That represents, yeah, everybody. That should be enough. 
No one says that anymore. It says, no, statistical size, way too small. Whoa, way too small to get an accurate. There's all these different figures that all these statisticians uses. But we can build in huge levels of, of so if a statistician says we need to have 10% of the population to really find out how they feel in this thing and we get 30, then we know every single time that we have built-in protection that the, that the people have voted on this policy. I'd like to know if we could vote on what where, where my company goes, where the country goes to war, how we use our military. By the way, the military um, is in some sort of standoff position with China, and uh, China is in some sort of standoff position with uh, India. India is in some sort of standoff position with Pakistan. Uh, of course, we are sitting comfortably in the world's longest war in Afghanistan. Um, this whole China-Asia problem has a lot to do with the absolute undeniable success of the People's Republic of China for selling their crap across the world. They are unbelievably successful business people and they just gobble up chunks and chunks and big chunks of market share and boy, has anybody in the United States noticed that. So we're in some sort of trade war with this company, and I'm, I'm going to give Donald Trump uh, kudos for trying tariffs because why not? Nothing else worked. Uh, I, whether or not these tariffs work, etc., I don't know. I, all I can say is, is what else are you going to do? You just uh, This thing called China is ridiculously difficult to deal with on an economic, international, economic basis. And so, you know, they're, they're, if we want them to do what we want them to do, uh, looks like we're going to raid or we're going to rattle some sabers. Well, you know the problem is that People's Republic of China can take you know uh, quite a beating, uh, you know, uh, militarily. Uh, they they'll come back. I mean, if there's a single province of China that's not you know completely depopulated through military action, uh, that one province has enough people to paddleboard over to the United States and wipe us all out. There are enough people from China in the United States, nationalized Chinese people. There's millions of them, and they're great people, and there's no reason to have anything against them. But there are just lots and lots of Chinese people all over the place. So I just want you to know that, uh, that any war with China is not, a, not winnable. It's not winnable. Not for anybody uh, who wants to tackle that. You know, whether or not our government is completely beholden to China already, and, I, and there's this illusion, you know, um, if that's already happening, uh, and I'm just unaware, I'm sure listeners could, could wade in on that. But the appeasement, you know, of China's uh, situation over us uh, versus direct confrontation through military action... Um, I really am. I'm really wondering what what the best pathway there is, and whether or not the people of the United States need to be behind such military action before it happens. I think is a necessity because the consequences of some sort of conflagration with China could be lights out in North America. They have EMP weapons, so that's the doomsday weapon for uh, suburbia, by the way. Uh, and it's not that big of a deal, boy. We've had them around for a long time. But what they do is they're satellite-based, and they, it's a really super high-altitude nuclear weapon, and uh, the satellite goes over a chunk of North America and lights itself off, 
and the bomb that it that it has doesn't do any destruction because it's too far up the atmosphere but it releases a lots of electromagnetic energy and it just fries all the cars all the electrical grid fries everything shuts down the whole everything goes dark can't fix it I did research on this and published with a guy named Harry Godlewski uh, a, a solution to this. We tried to raise some funds for a hardening of the uh, transformers. Uh, transformers needed to be hardened against EMP in order to protect against this because it's like 50,000 of these things and every one of them would go, go kaputs upon one of these things lighting off. So we knew that the entire place could go dark through one weapon explosion. So anyways, China's got this. So if, if we piss off China enough and say, China... Pfft, you know, but we don't like the way you do business anymore. You just make too much money. We've had enough of that. Um, we're just not going to do that anymore. And and if you disagree with us, we're gonna we're gonna blow you up. And China goes, <laughs> yeah, oh, funny, oh, funny. Okay, so you try blow me up. So so we say, oh, watch this. We're gonna blow up one of your submarines, flo- you know, floating around out in the China Sea. We use nuclear weapons to do that. See what you think of that. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah? Yeah? Well, we think about that now. So anyways, a little bit of provocation floating around out there. Next thing you know, you get a couple of uh, ships arguing with each other about whether or not, you know, this submarine should be in this area. And uh, that escalation can take place in the Navy really quick and easy. So let's say that uh, they finally, the, the Chinese said, we've had enough of your aircraft carriers floating around our islands and uh, we're just going to send one of those surface-to-air missiles that are practically impossible to stop and practically impossible to stop and they just blow up one of our, our most beautiful you know, aircraft carriers with 6,000 men on board. So, you know, if that happens... Then basically, uh, within two hours, the entire surface fleet of both Chinese and the United States will be on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, within another two hours, EMP weapons both over China and over the United States will probably already been de- detonated. So probably within a day, we'll go dark. Uh, that Suburbia can't handle this go-dark scenario. It just can't. It's not set up for it. It's not prepared for it. So she was looking for $100 million, called $100 million for Humanity Project. I, my website has since lapsed. But $100 million, $100 million uh, uh, for humanity.com was the idea that we could, we could put together a communication infrastructure that would be hardened and that we'd be able to survive this first wave of war's worst and that the people would still have control over their destiny through a distributed power grid style of, of democracy and that could handle the rigors of climate change, environmental damage, uh, societal damage, and still have a system that kept the uh, garbage truck showing up on time. I thought I could put that together before, but uh, if China pushes the button, it's going to make that impossible. Suburbia just hates... Um, it, suburbia just cannot stand any form of supply chain dis- disruption. There, it, there is just nothing here. There is no food anywhere in suburbia. There is nothing in Florida suburbia to eat. There are not enough squirrels. There are not enough nuts on the trees. There, there is, this is a wasteland. This is a food wasteland. So 
you know, the idea that we get our food from the ground and from trees and that we, you know, that we're in this dig dirt and eat it thing. No, not suburbanites, no. So these destabilizations, the, collapse, the collapsation of, of, of civil society and um, potential war, you know, uh, over just, you know, money. Who's got a pile of that? Got to go to war over that. It's always good to find out who makes money on wars, too. It's always good to find out what kind of things were going on, you know, before the war, who really made the cash. It's kind of nice. It's kind of interesting history. So, you know, so they don't teach that a lot. You know, you're not going to hear, hear a lot of information about who made a killing over the last, you know, genocide. But uh, the idea that making lots of money from for, you know, war, wow. So if the people of the world got a chance to vote on that, I wonder how they'd vote. I wonder how they'd vote. I wonder if they'd say, yes, that makes sense. That if a war happens, one guy makes a lot of money. No one else does. I think that makes sense, yes. Yeah, let's do that. So power to the people is possible. Hashtag distribute power. Hashtag instant radical change means that we can do this. We can switch over to this imaginary world tomorrow. Um, I'm in, I'm not empowered. I, if, I, if ever somebody would listen to this and say, good God, give this guy some money. What could I do if somebody gave me some money? Oh, my God. What I could do for the benefit of all living beings if I was not on 100% survival. So... Freeing up my time, effort, and energies to benefit all living beings is what my goal is. My religion is Chu Chi. It's the religion of weapons surrender. So you think it's a bad idea to have a religion to uh, surrender your weapons to? Well, come up with a better idea. But the idea is is that we have a mechanism to have all governments to surrender their weapons. It's time for governments to have a way out of the militarization of their lives and to do something with their weapons when they're done with them. Right now, we're giving them all to the police. So once we're done blowing up battlefields, uh, we hand all the stuff, all these hardware over to the police and say, yeah, prevent some kid from smoking pot with this armored personnel carrier. You know, this is where this huge gap between what black lives are and what white suburban lives are. The over-policing that goes on in these cultures is completely foreign to white people. Oh, you just got no idea. There's no idea. You get generations, entire families, neighborhoods decimated, and people in and out of the criminal justice system. And the thing is, is that this all could be solved with universal wage. All of it. All of it. Every nickel and dime of this is such a financial, you know, bonanza to simply give people a living, period. They are deserve enough food, shelter. They have enough money to live wherever they are without working. All that solves everything. It solves everything. So anyways, because it's survival, people, there's some of us that, that choose survival systems that are scavenger-based. And boy, that if you're going to take people's stuff... You need to do that through the official auspices of a governmental agency. You can't take people's stuff on your own. You need to have a license for that. So we, we take people's stuff constantly. It's all built into asset forfeiture laws. It's just taking people's stuff. It's just constant. And, and this, this idea that taxation is taking people's stuff, 
is, is a good, good point, but it's not the right point. Taxation is a shared social responsibility. It's a way to use concentrations of wealth to benefit more than just the one person who has it. Come up with a better system. There's no need for taxation if you actually, with my economic system, there's no need for it. No one needs to be taxed about anything. But we have to go through these parallel system with the existing economic system remaining in, in place during any transition time. But through instant radical change, transitional time could be weeks. It's just not, it's not necessary. People need to be taken care of. So we've got a few more minutes before the Climate Boot is done on this. And I want to thank you very much for listening. I have gone through a number of subject matters in a random fashion with a little bit of alluding to my own needs to be set free economically in order to pursue things for the benefit of all living beings. I'm at matt at chute.name, M-A-T-T at C-H-U-T-E dot name, N-A-M-E. I think it's great uh, that you've listened this much. Thank you so much that that you've taken interest in what I have to say and and if you believe that uh, the direction that I'm heading in is 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 good one for all of humanity, then supporting me is is much appreciated. But what I wanted to leave you with is is this problem with what's called the aerosol masking effect. We have a problem. We, all of us, baked in, baked in problem, that when we stop or reduce industrial activity worldwide aerosols, a type of pollution that reflects the sun, drop out of the atmosphere. And when that happens, the world goes through a very rapid worldwide heating in under a year. What we're talking about is uh, the dreaded uh, tipping point mechanism that can rapidly increase worldwide temperature and have everything go from it's it's not looking good but it's okay to it's not it's not good the aerosol masking effect is a piece of science that the climate buddha has studied commented on talked about in a number of podcasts and is now telling you that if we reduce industrial activity science is saying that there'll be an increase in worldwide temperature Right now, we are struggling with about somewhere in the vicinity of 1.7 to 2.0 worldwide average temperature, depending upon the mechanism that is used to measure it. But all the heating that's gone on, the worldwide average surface temperature has gone up around 2 degrees, 1.7 to 2 degrees, some of that general area, right? All the, all the negative things that are happening. All of the incredible extreme weather, the, the crazy swings of psychotic, you know, big changes in climate patterns all over the world. There's all this destabilization is just from two degrees. And most of that two degrees happened in the last 25 years. So, so what they're talking about with the loss of the aerosol masking effect is potentially two degrees within a year. Maybe three. Who knows how bad the aerosol masking effect is because it's one of those things that you can model but you don't model that great until you really really research it and there's not that tons of research but the research that's coming out is saying that you're going to get an increase in worldwide temperature 
Some low estimates are of immediate 0.25 degrees worldwide average increase. That's some of the low ones that were bantied about and counted on years ago. Even at that level, a 0.25 increase worldwide surface temperature, even at that, devastating consequences to climate, devastating consequences to things that live on the Earth. So near-term human extinction is part of Tucci's religion, the religion that if I invented 2,500 years ago and just supplanted the religion that was based on sustainable development or relationship to, to, uh, to uh, the natural environment as the primary driving forces of God and said that's, the, that's what really the religion is. That's the one that really matters. And, and we built that religion in a way that was able to withstand the attacks against it. And that religion stayed intact all the way to this day. We, we, we may have averted this. But unfortunately, it was business as usual for humans and our human brains, and we did the best with what we got, and what we got wasn't that great for dealing with environmental degradation. <laughs> and, and, we, and we dropped the ball. Everyone dropped the ball. Nobody made the right decisions at the right time. No decision was made at the right time to fix this we have a situation where things are not going to get better. What I'm leaving you with now is the only question that's left open. And that's the question of when will it be that bad? I, I hope any predictions from anybody that are less than 10 years, I hope all of those are horrendously wrong. I hope any predictions from 10 to 20 years are horrendously wrong. I hope any predictions 30 to 100 years into the future are horrendously wrong. But there's practically nobody that's predicting, you know, beyond that. It's just not, they're not doing it. Anybody looks at the climate data, they're going, no, no, not going to get anywhere near that long. It's not going to happen. Too many baked in things. So what are you going to do with your time now? How important is every moment? of a livable climate to you. How important is that? What would you like to do with that time? My name is Matthew Chute. I'm Chute Chi, the inventor of the Chute Chi religion. I am the climate Buddha on Facebook primarily. I'm the inventor of the universal alignment hashtag, hashtag distribute powder, hashtag instant radical change, hashtag logical radical, hashtag universal wage 